And the scripture this morning actually is uh, the great commandment composed of the Shema and Leviticus 19.18. We find it in the 12th chapter of Mark beginning in verse 28. And when one of the teachers of the law heard them debating and noticed that Jesus gave them a good answer, he asked him, which one of the commandments is the most important one? And Jesus answered, the most important one is this. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is none greater than these. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Well, as you know, the Pope uh, visited the United States uh, this week and is uh, still here. And uh, thousands came out to greet him in some places, uh, tens of thousands in other places, and apparently more than a million people yesterday in Philadelphia. And as popular as the Pope is and as wonderful as it is to have him come visit, the visit was not without controversy, as when he addressed uh, uh, both houses uh, of, of, of Congress, And uh, one of the things he talked about was climate change, and that made some of the people not very happy. And then he talked against uh, abortion, and that made other people not happy. And so even among Catholics, there's not unanimity of opinion around the Pope's position. And uh, all I can say to the Pope is, welcome to my world. Because uh, Catholics and Protestants alike, Christians all over, differ in so many areas. They differ politically. They differ on what we might call social issues. They differ on interpretations of um, Scripture. And they've been doing it since Jesus. Well, here's the good news this morning. The people of God have been debating and arguing with one another long before Jesus And in fact, one of the stories the rabbis tell is this. The question is, why did God create the Jews? And the answer they gave is, because God likes to have a good argument. And you may know that in Jesus' day, there was a saying that went something like this. When you have two rabbis in a room, you have at least three opinions. And so argument and uh, debate was just a part of who they were. And they debated all sorts of things. But the most significant debate was around this one topic. The way they phrased it is, what is the most abiding principle of the Torah? In other words, in the law of God, 613 commandments, what's the one thing that I really need to nail? What's the one thing I really need to get down? And this wasn't a theoretical question. For theologically, they believed that they were slaves to the Romans, and before that, slaves to the Greeks, and before that, slaves to the Babylonians, and before that, slaves to the Assyrians, because they had failed to keep God's word. So this is a life and death argument. What is it that God wants and needs us to do? How do we take all the law and figure out uh, how to live it? And so they had a word for that to try to find this one principle. And the word they used was commandment. Now, when I use the word commandment, it's like I'm telling you to do something. The way they use commandment is like summary. So the Ten Commandments are ten, are ten summary laws that Moses gives. It's like, I know there's 613 of them, but let me give you the big ten here. 
Um, and Jesus did the same thing on the night uh, that he was betrayed in the gospel of John. He's with his disciples and he said, a new commandment. I give you love one another. And what's he doing? He's doing this. He's saying like, I've been with you three years. And if you want the cliff notes of what I've been trying to tell you, it's this love one another. And so Jews, um, in Jesus day. And what's called Second Temple Judaism, which is about 500 years before Jesus to a couple hundred years after uh, Jesus. Uh, in, in this time, they're looking for that summary uh, statement. But they're also looking for a key that sort of unlocks it as well. So Jesus is also saying to his disciples, look, I'm not going to be here forever in the Gospel of John. So here's a key to understand what I want. Love one another. And so that's what a commandment was. Now, now the people of God are not stupid. They look through the Bible and they realize there's 613 of these things and sometimes they don't say the same thing. Sometimes they disagree with one another. Uh, sometimes you can't hold two commandments at the same time and keep them both. Here's an example. It's called the parable of the Good Samaritan. In Jesus' day, there was a fair amount of consensus about the importance of the Shema. But after that... What should we be doing? And there was a school of thought uh, under a, ra- a wonderful rabbi named Shammai that said this. Well, the main thing is you need to keep the Sabbath and you need to worship and you need to keep all the purity codes. So the main thing is keep yourself ritually clean. Uh, that's the most important thing you can do. So if you believe that and you were walking down the road from Jericho to Jerusalem and there was a guy bleeding who might even be dead in front of you, the law is very clear. If you bend down to help him, you will be richly unclean. You will be ineligible for church. You will not be keeping the Sabbath. So I suspect with heavy hearts, the, th- the two that walk around, the priest and the Levite, are just saying, well, gosh, push comes to shove. I, I got I to gotta stay pure. And so they go around a bleeding body. But there was another group of people, uh, and one that Jesus aligned himself with, in the school of Rabbi Hillel. And what they taught was, after the Shema, the most important thing you could do is love your neighbor. And so it's very clear when there's a, it doesn't matter what day of the week it is, when there's somebody in the road who is bleeding, you don't worry about, well, this will disqualify me from church. This will mess up the Sabbath. You go And you help that person. So they knew something that I wish we Christians would know, which is the Bible doesn't always agree with itself. Sometimes you have to prayerfully with the Holy Spirit in community make a judgment call that this principle overrides this one at this time and this place. And so that's what the debate's about. How do I figure out how to take all these laws and decide which ones to keep at a certain time? And so Jesus gets drawn into this debate. And the answer he gives is, well, the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and, uh, and mind and strength. And then and love your neighbor as yourself. And, you know, when I was growing up, I used to think, you know, Jesus made up a lot of really good stuff. You know, all this stuff is brand new he's making up. How does he do that? I guess because he's God's son. But as I got older, I realized Jesus is a brilliant rabbi in addition to being God's son. And so what he does is he takes the one, almost the only two times that the, this particular verb that means love in the entire what his Bible was, the, the Old Testament, shows up. And the only time this word shows up is love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and might. And love your neighbor as yourself. And so he figures if God's using the same verb, the two must be meant to go together. 
And so he puts them together and gets the great commandment. And so to love God and love our neighbor is the cliff notes. It's the key. It's the summary to try to living the life that God has called us to live. So having said that, what I want to do quickly this morning is just kind of, we've been through the Shema before, but walk you through it just real quickly and walk you through love your neighbor and, and see what we can get out of it. Um, and then uh, we'll spend several more weeks expanding on that. But the first thing is, to be honest with you, in Moses' day, when the Shema is first passed down, it's not the most important thing. But sometime a few hundred years before the time of Jesus, the Jews come to a consensus that the Shema is kind of the central organizing principle for their life of worship and practice. And so you'll see them reciting the Shema uh, daily. You'll, you'll even note that when Paul writes his letters, uh, he often rephrases the Shema. The most famous one you may know is when Paul's writing the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 8, 6. And he said, now remember, we got one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That's a Christian reworking of what the Shema might mean. So it became very central. So it wasn't always so, but it was by Jesus' day. So what does it mean? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now, we tend to think of that as, well, I need to just fall in love with God and be all emotional uh, uh, about God. And, and there are a lot of worship songs which are wonderful, but you could take the words out and sing them to your girlfriend, and it would be pretty much the same. There's a lot that that looks like that, and there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not what it means to love the Lord your God um, uh, with all your heart. The Hebrews thought the heart was like, when they use it, it's like it's in your guts. So it's the seat, not just of emotion, but more importantly, it's the seat of the intellect and the seat of the will. In other words, what the ancient Hebrews believed is what you did with your hands and your mouth and your feet came out of your gut. So they said, you better start by loving God there with kind of everything that you are. It speaks of like a total devotion to God. And then love the Lord your God with all your soul. And they didn't mean something mystical by um, soul. What they meant was when you died, in a sense, it, it meant your life. Your soul was your life. So it meant being willing to give your life for God if called upon. So in my mind, the second greatest rabbi of all human history is a guy named Akiba. About 100 years after Jesus, the Romans have arrested him. They've tied him to the stake. They're getting ready to light the fire, and they're just basically filleting him. They're just peeling off his skin, and now they're on the muscle. And what he does is he starts reciting the Shema. And his disciples who are by his side, which unfortunately Jesus' disciples were nowhere to be found when he was being crucified, look at him and they say, Rabbi, why are you smiling? And he said, I always wondered my whole life if I could love the Lord with my whole soul. And now I see I can do it because it meant giving your life up for God. And then there's this very strange word that gets translated strength or might. And it's not even a noun. It's an adverb. It's it's love God with your so-ness, with your veeriness. It's, it's, it's a very strange word. It's like Dinah was telling the children, I love this so much. Well, the so is what gets translated uh, um, uh, might or strength. It's kind of like uh, you love God kind of like with everything that's there. But they didn't make it mystical. The rabbis turned that. They said that's loving God with all your possessions, with all your goods and with all your finances. You put them at the feet of the Lord. That's how you love so much as you say, basically, everything I have is yours. Which, by the way, the Bible teaches Psalm uh, 134 says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So. That's all the Shema is saying is just remember, it's all God. So give it back to God and let God help you figure out 
what to do with it. So, and they even called, they said, when you give things for God, he said, your possessions glow like fire. They called them glowing possessions. And so that was their particular interpretation. Well, where did mind come from? Well, the best guess on this is uh, um, that for a lot of Greek-speaking Jews, uh, whose Hebrew wasn't so good, um, in a Greek-speaking world, they needed a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. It's called the Septuagint. And when they got to the Shema, they added mind. Because the Greeks, um, unlike the Hebrews, thought the mind was something separate from the heart. But the Hebrews saw mind and heart as all together. So love the Lord with all your heart included your mind. So basically, in what translators call a dynamic equivalency, it's in other words, so it makes sense to everybody, they added mind. And so that's why you add love the Lord your God with all your mind there. Um, And so it became vital and critical. And then Jesus added to it and love your neighbors yourself. Interestingly, love your neighbors yourself was one of the strong candidates for the whole law to be summed up in that one sentence. There were a lot of people who said that's the only one we ought to have. And you can see evidences of this in the New Testament. Paul says this to the Romans, the sum of all the law. He said the sum of all of it, he said, is love your neighbor. James wrote to the early church and said this, the royal law. In other words, the king's edict, Jesus's edict is love your neighbor. And Jesus, uh, uh, his youngest disciple, John, once said, You know, how can you claim to love God whom you don't see and not love your brother and sister who you do see? And it was a reference to loving your neighbor. So by Jesus day, loving your neighbor took real significance. And then uh, it was as yourself. That's an interesting phrase. Nobody really knows, I think, for sure what that means. It's a little vague in Hebrew, too. Now, a lot of would-be psychologists like me would say this, like, well, you love your neighbors yourself because if you don't love yourself, you really can't love other people very well. Yeah, that, that makes some sense. When I'm at war with myself, I'll usually make casualties of the people that are closest to me or uh, in my way that day. Um, and so there is a principle that says in order to love others, we need to know how deeply we are loved. But I don't think that's what the Hebrew means here. The best guess is love your neighbor. He or she is like yourself. Another, in other words, think of all the hassles you had to go through to make it to church this morning. So did the person on the pew across from you. Uh, the very troubles that you struggle with, they struggle with. And it's a part of un- starting to understand other people and put yourself in their shoes. And, in, and when you do that, you will love your neighbor. When you start to give them the benefit of a doubt, you'll give yourself. So, you know, when I screw up, I know it's because I had a bad day or I'm not feeling well. But when you screw up, I know it's because you're a jerk. Yeah, and so, uh, and, and, and like yourself is to say, no, you're just like me. We all have trouble. You probably know, I think I've told you before, one of the great rabbinic principles is find the best reason for a person's bad behavior and believe it. Try to give them, uh, believe, assume the best of them. They are like yourself. So when our kids were growing up and, and they were misbehaving, I would always assure my wife, they're not bad, they're just tired. So we, we find that. So love your neighbor as yourself. So anyway, um, I just in closing want to make a couple observations uh, just about this great commandment that we've looked at briefly. The first thing is this. It's not about what you believe. It's about what you do. The Greeks thought if you could get the right thoughts, the right doctrines, the right ideas in your head, you would have the right behaviors. And we've educated a lot of people that way. And that's not wrong. That's one way to do it. 
But the Hebraic way to do it was teach people the right behaviors, and then they'll come to the right beliefs, attitudes, and practices. So the emphasis was always on action. So for centuries, people have debated, like, how can God command you to love? I mean, love is how I feel about somebody. God can't make me feel a given way. And the answer is, oh, yeah, God can command love because it's an action. And the more that I treat you in a loving way, the more I'll come to have feelings and thoughts that follow that action. So the emphasis is not on what you think or believe. The emphasis is on what you do. Does that make sense? That, that's, um, there's a comedian, and, and he's not PG, so I'm not recommending that you go home and watch him. Uh, C.K. Louis, Louis on TV, comedian. And he says this. He said, I have a lot of beliefs. He said, and when I believe them, I feel good about myself that I believe them. He said, I call them beliefies. He said, but when they get in the way of something I want to do, then I jettison them. Well, the great commandment is not a beliefy for you to kind of hang on to, feel good about. But when push comes to shove, you chunk it. It's about an action. It's about that we take. And it's about an action that requires total commitment and dedication. That's the other thing that the... Whether you interpret the Hebrew, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, or the Lord our God, uh, the Lord uh, is the Lord alone, either way, you're talking about a real exclusivity and a total claim that God has on you as a person. I remember years ago, they asked the uh, late uh, uh, poet Robert Frost what he thought the ugliest word was in the human language. He thought about it in the English language, and he and, uh, thought about it for a moment, and he said, Exclusive. Well, let me take the road less traveled here and suggest that exclusivity is not a bad thing. When you're in a marriage relationship, exclusivity is a good thing that opens doors to freedom. It doesn't close off uh, life and freedom. Uh, yesterday, I did a wedding uh, in, uh, near Lakeway, uh, Texas, and I was really glad that the place that I did the wedding had an exclusive address. That it had a number that just belonged to that address. Um, because I got there on this road and there were all these driveways. There was no sign yet when I got there that, that, or balloons or anything that said wedding here. And the only way I could find it was by a number that was assigned strictly to that one house. Left to myself with all sorts of options, doing whatever I want. I'll make enough bad decisions that eventually my doors won't open. They will actually close in around me. But exclusively trying to love God and love other people with all my heart and soul and strength may start out narrow, but it opens so much, uh, so many more doors to freedom and joy. And so God calls us to exclusivity, not to suppress us but actually to free us. Dallas Willard used to observate, a lot of people worry about Christian commitment because they feel like it's having to jump off into the deep end. And then he wryly asks, but have you ever thought about what happens to people who jump off in the shallow end? It can be painful. And so there's something about this commitment that frees us and helps us, even though God asks for everything, in the asking for everything, we find that we get Everything. Ray Vanderland was here years ago and he told this parable from India that I have not forgotten. It was about a very poor man, a beggar. And what he does from daylight until dusk is he goes and begs people for grains of rice. He had one day that was really a bad day. At the end of the day, he was left 
with just five grains of rice in his hand. And he was about to call it a day and go cook those five little pieces of rice when he saw a commotion in the road ahead. He saw elephants. Well, elephants could only mean one thing. Somebody very wealthy was coming down the path. And sure enough, dressed in finery with a large entourage, it was the Maharaja. And uh, so he he held his rice in one hand, held out the other to beg. Surely this wealthy man would give him something. And uh, the Maharaj, in fact, stopped right in front of him, looked at him and said, How many grains of rice do you have? Give them to me. And he thought, well, this isn't how charity works. And he kind of looked at his hand and he said, I have two And he gave the Maharaj two grains of rice. The Maharaj nodded to his assistant, who reached into a bag and pulled out two precious rubies that would buy him food for some time to come. And the Maharaj went off down the road. Man looked at his two rubies, his three grains of rice, put his head in his hand and said, Why didn't I just give him everything? Why indeed? Why indeed? 